You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. It's a study in submission and faith. And this week I've taken the title from that song that we sing, King Forever, that says, Your Will, Your Way, Always. And that's really what we discover in the rest of this story. So if you would look there at those verses, I think they'll be on the screen. I'll make some comments on these verses as we go. You remember this is now the second part of the story. First part of the story is that if you were a reader, or if you were one of the people that a rabbi was telling this story at the time that it had been written and was being used maybe a thousand years before Jesus, maybe sometime less, maybe four or five, six hundred years before Jesus, and you're hearing this story, and you realize that this story in Second Kings is about a Gentile, you would be surprised because it's the only story in the Old Testament that has as its central character a Gentile. And Naaman is not only a Gentile, but Naaman is also the general of Syria's army, which at that time was Israel's primary enemy. And so here's a chapter in the Bible that has as its main character our primary enemy. And you're going, what's up with that? What's that about? And so there would be some questions that the reader would be having or the the listener as the rabbi was teaching. And certainly there's some lessons here that God wants us to to learn about. There's some things that uh, we need to hear, that those people needed to hear that uh, God was doing that they had not yet heard. And so this was a story that was broadening their understanding of what the kingdom of God is all about, as well as ours as we read the story. Now you remember last week, Naaman, is a great man, he's a general. God has been with him, given him victory, primarily over Israel, uh, this great man, but, you remember, he had leprosy, or a skin disease of some kind that was uh, certainly thought to be fatal, or at least would limit his performance in, in, in many ways, and so this was a, a huge hit to, uh, to, to Syria that one of their primary leaders is, uh, is no longer able to function in his normal way. And I'm sure he went to everybody to try to find some kind of relief, some kind of healing, some kind of treatment, but nothing worked. But then his wife's servant girl, who was a young Jewish girl who had been stolen in a raid that Syria had made on one of the border towns of Israel and had stolen this girl, and she's become now uh, the maid or the servant of Naaman's wife. And this servant girl says, You know, if only we were in Syria, if only we were in Israel. She said, there's a man there, there's a prophet there who could cure cure leprosy. But we're here and he's there and, but Naaman hears this and he has hope. And he goes and tells his king. And he says, listen, my wife's servant says that there's somebody over in Israel who can cure leprosy. Now the king is desperate. And so the king says, okay, we'll put together a huge slush fund and we'll go bribe the king of Israel to, uh, to uh, release the name of this person so you can go and get healed. 
So he goes with all of his men, and he goes with this five and a half million dollars worth of uh, uh, precious stones and silver and gold, and goes to the king and says uh, with this letter from his king, saying, this is my servant Naaman, would you please cure him of his leprosy? Well, as we saw last week, oftentimes people who ought to know what God is doing don't have a clue. And the king goes, what? Somebody who can cure, I can't cure you of leprosy. He says, you're just trying to pick a fight with us and start a war. And he tears his clothes as a sign of you know, frustration. And now Elisha is the prophet. And Elisha hears that the king has torn his clothes. And so he sends someone down to the king and to Naaman and says, come to me and you will find out that there's a prophet in Israel. And so this part of the story now today is a story of Naaman coming to Elisha. So if you look at the text, it says this. So Naaman, with his horses and chariots, and halted, so, so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Now, I, I got to stop there and just talk to you a little bit about that. Elisha lives on the side of Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel is about 40 miles from Syria, straight up a hill. I mean, at the top of this mountain. You know, that's where they had that big Elijah and the prophets, where they had that big encounter, up the side of this mountain. And it's kind of like if you've ever been in a mountain area and you're going to a cabin up at the top of a hill, you know, you go from a freeway down to a two-lane road, down to a one-track road, and then it starts to wind around this mountain back and forth. Now, here's Damon, chariots, horses, all of his army, all these men going up this narrow little path up the side of this mountain. And finally, they get to Elisha's hut, cabin, whatever it was he lived in. Now, you can just imagine what Naaman is saying. Where in the world are we going? I mean, if there's somebody who does health care like this, there ought to be a clinic, right? I mean, there ought to be a hospital. This shouldn't be in the middle of the woods, but that's exactly where it was. And so they finally get there, up there. Now the text says, and Elijah sent a messenger to him. Now they've just probably spent five, six days from Samaria getting up to Elisha's house. It's been an incredible effort. And it's, you should have a, a parade just for the fact that we got here, right? And Elisha sends a messenger. That's like you go to have open heart surgery you get to the hospital and the doctor sends a nurse, says, uh, uh, come over here, we're gonna do this in the back of a car. <laughs> what? That's not what you're expecting, right? And the messenger came and said, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. That's the prescription? That's worse than going to CVS. You ever try to get a prescription? Never mind. It's a <laughs> but Naaman became angry and went away saying, I thought that for me, he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, would wave his hand over the spot and cure the skin disease. You hear what he says? This is a bit of arrogance, isn't it? He says, I, I thought that for... Me, because after all, I am who I am, right? I mean, I'm the number two guy in Syria. I'm the general of the army. 
I, I have been taken care of and I have been, uh, uh, you know, really been taken care of and, and uh, people have catered to me. My, I now, as a messenger that comes out, well, I thought for me, this would surely be different. I thought for me, this would be special. You know, a lot of people have the idea when they have a real need, they think if God would meet their need, it's going to be really special. As I, I said a few weeks ago, there's, you know, the, it'd be like this, it was in another study, but uh, it'd be like this, that, the, you know, that's, remember the story of the man by the pool of Bethsaida? And um, uh, he's been sitting by the pool waiting for the bubbles to come up all these years, and nobody ever put him in, and Jesus comes by and says, okay, I've had enough, pick up your mat and get out of here. And I, you just kind of think of the guy would say, what, no bubbles? Yeah. <laughs> You know, he's been anticipating this all these years. And Naaman probably had, he'd probably been to many different people who, who had said, we can heal you. There were probably many different people who had a, a plan or a thought. Or, uh, he, he's been to lots of clinics and they've done all kinds of things to him. You know, zip, you know, electrode treatment, all, all kinds of things. And nothing has worked. And this guy says... Uh, Go over to the Jordan River and jump in it seven times, and when you come out the seventh time, you'll be healed. Well, I thought for me, and he, you could just see what was in his mind by what he says, that he would at least come down. And he had probably, had, would, wouldn't you think he'd have a, a routine where, you know, at least abracadabra, you know, at least some, some kind of uh, thing that he did, take a chicken and... <laughs> and, and at least put his hand on the spot. Dear Lord, heal him. None of that. None of that. You know, we have these weird ideas of how God's going to work when, when, we, have, uh, when we have needs. And, and he certainly had that in his, in his head. And he goes away. The text says, he went away insulted and angry. That's how bad arrogance can be. Somebody tells you, here's how you can have your need met. Well, that's not good enough for me. In fact, that's the, that's the definition. I've got to fix this. There we go. That's the definition of arrogance. That, that's the, that's the, the definition of somebody who thinks more highly of themselves than they ought to think. And he goes to go away angry. Angry. I'm out of here. And he's thinking the Jordan River. Now, you have to know, culturally... Israel was thought by the other nations around it to be a backward, a third world country. And in many ways they were because they held on to their traditions and progress didn't seem to be rather important to the Jewish people. Now in Syria at this time, this was the great, the great time of building in Syria in Damascus. Beautiful buildings, water, features all over the place, fountains, all of that as they dig those things up today. Syria was just an amazingly beautiful place. And now here we are in the mountains of this third world country off of a dirt road with this guy. And, and, and then the rivers, the Jordan River was, you can find it in literature of all kinds at this time. The Jordan River was seen to be a third class body of water because it came out of the Sea of Galilee and it came through a, a kind of a very muddy area until it became a river. And so the headwaters of the Jordan River were, were brackish, they were, they were muddy. They were, you know, it wasn't very clean, it wasn't blue. Contrasted 
to the beautiful rivers and water features of Syria. The two rivers there, the Parfar and the, and, and the, and the other one. I mean, just beautiful. Now here's the other thing. They're 20 miles up the mountain away from the Jordan River. In order to dip into the Jordan River, they gotta turn around back down this mountain path with all of his entourage and go down another 20 miles in another direction. In fact, it's on its way back to Syria in order to hit the Jordan River where he could dip. dip. I mean, this just seemed like a, not only a crazy thing, but it was outrageous. You want me to go 20 miles down and dip in this filthy way? And he says, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm not going to do that. And his men say to him, Lord, Master, wait a minute. Man, you've been on this search for a cure for all these years, and nothing has worked. You've done all kinds of weird things. How about one more? Uh, what, what do you have to lose? You might lose your leprosy, right? Let's at least try it. And so his men are able to make some sense to him. And he goes there and he says, okay, I'll wash. I mean, you've got to picture this scene. Seven times, right? I mean... Think about the first six times. What's gone through this guy's mind? He comes up. Have you ever been in the Midwest in August? The dog days of summer? That's what this was. This was in the, in the summer. And so there's, when you walk into the bottom of this river, <laughs> muck. There's sphagnum moss, algae on the water. Ugh. And so he goes down the first time, comes up, ugh, pulls this stuff off of him. Same skin disease. About the third time he's thinking, there's a camera around here. <laughs> this is going to be on Instagram tomorrow. Fifth time, no change. Sixth time, you can just... You could just think about what's gone through his, you can just imagine what's gone through his mind. Seventh time he comes up with skin like a newborn baby's. He's made whole. He's healed. It worked. Incredible. I mean, just amazing. And it reminds us that God says, my ways are not your ways. No abracadabra. Duck, duck, duck down in the mud seven times. See, you probably wonder, why, why did God choose that way? And the answer is, I don't know. His ways are, they're higher than our ways. Paul says this, God's thoughts are inscrutable. You can't figure out what, why God does what he does. You just simply have to trust that when God's word says something, it's true, and you surrender to it, and you act on it. I think that's what we're being taught in this passage. His, God's grace is received by this Gentile general of the enemy's army, and he's made whole. Well, what do you do when that happens? Well, if you, you look at the, the, the text, it, it, it says this. He returned to the man of God. He got back in his chariot with all of his men who went back up the mountain, back up to uh, uh, Elisha. And he says to him, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. You see what he's saying? Now I know that this isn't about the power that you have to heal me. 
Now I know that this isn't about some method, some system, some pill, some x-ray, some something else that heals me. This is about the power of God. Only the power of God could put me in a muddy pile and bring me up whole. God did this. And he recognizes that. Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a present from your servant. He has all this money here. He says, let me give you all this money. And Elisha, I don't know what kind of evangelist he was, but he says this. As the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept anything. Bob, what seminary did this guy go to? Wow. Guy's going to end up living on Social Security when he retires, you know? It's not so bad. Then Naaman said, well, then if not, Please let two mule loads of earth be given to your servant, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god except the Lord. But may, but may the Lord pardon your servant on one count when my master goes to the house of Rimon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow down in the house of Rimon. When I do bow down in the house of Rimon, may the Lord pardon your servant on this one count. And Elisha said to him, go in peace. The guy says, now I know. There's only one God, and my response is to worship him. See, the response to receiving grace is worship. It's not thank you. It's not to go back and, and bless the preacher or the, whomever. It's, it's thank you, God. It's worship. It's to offer yourself to God. And he has a caveat. He says, listen, once a year, I got to go in with my king to the house of Remon on the day when we worship him. And I've got to bow down with my king uh, to, to, to Remon. He says, can, can you forgive me for that? Elisha says, go in peace. He says, it, it's, not, it's not about the form. It, it's, it's not about the system. It's not about the method. It's about your heart. And when you know there's only one true God and you worship, you're worshiping the one true God. He says, that's the, that, that, of course, no, no problem at all. He takes two bunches of earth with him. Uh, that fills up on saddlebags on these mules because he wants to take a part of Israel with him because this is the God of Israel. And so, you know, the, the earth will remind him of, of Israel, Israel's God, and that's who he's going to worship. Wow, what a story. I mean, you can, you can just imagine the original reader hears when they heard this story. What, what is it that we're to get from all of that? Well, there's a few thoughts that, I, that I'd like to share with you. And uh, so we'll take these one at a time to, to, to think about. You know, following Jesus, and I'm sure most of us here today are, are Christ followers. I'm sure that we've made a decision, we've made a commitment that says, Lord, I'm yours. Here I am. Wherever you lead, I, I will follow. We're, we're disciples. Uh, we're apprentices of, of Jesus. And sometimes... Here's the point I think this story shows us, is that sometimes following Jesus takes us to places we've never been before. See, we like things to be predictable, don't we? We want God to work in our lives the way God's always worked in our life. But unfortunately, God is always doing new things. He's always doing different things. God's, God's always at work in, 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 in different ways. And sometimes as we're following him, he takes us to places we never thought of. He takes us to, to experiences, to encounters, to circumstances that we, that, that we never thought about before. And sometimes they're difficult. Sometimes you've got to climb up a mountain that's uh, one track with a, uh, with a chariot. You know, so sometimes it's, it's difficult to get to where Jesus is leading us. 
It's not a smooth, shiny path that you can just slide on. Sometimes it's, it, it, it's difficult. Sometimes God doesn't answer our questions of why are you asking me to do this? Sometimes he doesn't answer the questions, where are we going? Or what's this all about? Sometimes he doesn't do that. He just says, follow me, follow. You know, the, the instructions to Jesus' disciples, you remember? He said, follow me. And their response was almost every time in the Gospel of Mark is this, and immediately they followed Jesus. No, no, they understood that this was an, an unqualified following. Yes, Lord, and they followed. That's first thought. Sometimes following Jesus takes us to places we've never been before. Here's the second thought. Pride and arrogance will always keep me from grace. When I think I deserve it, when I think I've been good, when, when I think I'm doing the right thing, when I think I, you, you don't get grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is what you get when you don't deserve it. Grace is what you don't get when you think you do deserve it. Grace, grace is always unmerited. And when you have pride and arrogance, why I thought for me it would be different. I thought after all these years of serving the Lord, things would be different. I thought that, see, you don't get God's grace. That's arrogance. That's, that, that, that's pride. You can't earn it. Grace is extended to everybody particularly to those who don't deserve it, because that's the only people who can get it. It's unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. And that's why, that's why worship is the only response to grace. There is no other response. Pride and arrogance keep us from grace. I think that's an important lesson, not only for the Jews of a thousand years ago, but for you and me today. Here's a third thought. God's ways are not often our ways. I find that to be of a great concern. It's very hard for me to do things that don't make sense to me. It's very hard for me to work through ideas that the end of two plus two doesn't equal four. It's a hard place for me to go. And so often, God's will, God's way, is not my way. And I find myself doing things that I would never do. I find myself fighting against doing things that I don't want to do. Because God's ways are often not my ways. Have you discovered that? God wants me to say things like, I forgive you when I don't. He, he, he says all kinds of things about who to love. I'm having enough trouble liking. And, <laughs> and God's talking about loving. His will, his way, always. That's a challenge. That's a challenge. But as you, read, as you read scripture, you, you keep finding more and more of those things about his ways that are not re, his ways. So it requires faith 
I, I have to believe that what God says is what's best for me, even when I know it's not. In my own mind, I know it's not. This isn't the way to do it. But I, my faith has to come to the place where I can accept that what God says is the right way, even in those times. Faith. And faith then leads me to surrender. Okay, Lord. I can't figure this out. I, I, will, I will do what you've called me to do. I will follow you even here. We surrender. And surrender leads to obedience. And as we obey, in those conditions, we experience grace. I don't know how God does it. But he enriches our lives in every way. He enriches our marriage in every way. Not because we deserve it. Not because we've worked hard at it. Here's what I found. The harder I've worked at my marriage, the worse it's gotten. The more I've let go and just trusted that God is at work, the better our marriage has gotten. So even marriage is spiritual. I could talk about handling money. Have you read all those books? I've read all those books. They don't work. The more you just kind of follow the plan that God has in his word, the more your life is enriched in, in, in every way. But see, faith leads to surrender, leads to obedience, that leads to grace. And then grace leads to worship of the one true God. No one else could do that. Who can do it? Only God can. Isn't there a song we sing like that? I think it's this collar. I like it, so I'll put up with it. Now think about this. This is a study in surrender and faith, right? Let's think about Naaman and through this story what he had to surrender to. Once he began to move in a direction, it required a lot of surrender. First of all, he had to surrender to the disease, didn't he? Whatever it was, leprosy or some kind of skin disease that was just, just terrible. Uh, he had to surrender to it. You can't ignore that. I mean, that's, that was the easiest thing to surrender to because it was right there in front of him. It was easy. It was on his body. But then he had to surrender to hope that his wife's slave girl who came from Israel, who's 12 years old, is going to give him about curing his leprosy. That's a big piece to surrender to. I kind of like experts. Don't you? We kind of do research now that we have the, you know, internet. Holy cow, any question, anything you want, I mean, you can get 15 opinions. I mean, and expert opinions. You can know. Well, in those days, this is the word of a 12-year-old slave girl who was stolen from her home. Maybe she's got a little bit of an edge of anger and she's setting you up, huh? No, he surrendered to that. And then he had to surrender to his king. When he said, there's somebody in Israel that could cure me, he surrendered to the king's plan. Well, let's go bribe the king of Israel without knowing that the king of Israel didn't have a clue about what was going on. And then he had to surrender to this messenger that Elisha sent down. Who, I don't know who that was. Well, the, 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 there's another messenger that comes in later in the story, but I don't know if it was that one or if it was another one. But here's this guy coming down off the hill after we've just made this heroic um, trip up the mountain and this guy comes down and says oh you're here to get cured for leprosy oh Elisha said turn around go 20 miles back down the hill 
Go find the Jordan River uh, where it comes out of the Sea of Galilee there and where, where the headwaters are and jump in it and out of it seven times and on the seventh time you'll be cured of leprosy. That's a lot to surrender to. Would you surrender to that? I've been to a lot of doctors. I've heard a lot of weird things. But I haven't heard that. Wow. And then he had to surrender to his servants after they said, and he got all upset. Master, he had to surrender to his servants and say, okay, fine, I'll do it. And then he had to surrender to God's way. He went to the water and he dipped down and out seven times and he got cured of his leprosy. He really had to surrender of his pride, didn't he? He had to surrender to that. You know, discipleship, following Jesus requires surrender. See, we want Jesus' agreement. We want him to be okay with what we're doing. I think that's how a lot of people follow Jesus. I think that's how a lot of people live their life. You know, making sure Jesus is okay with what they're doing. Jesus doesn't care about what you're doing. He cares that you care about what he's doing. And you surrender to his way. You surrender to following him. Every single time. See, the, the, the relationship starts with humility. It's just like in the program. It starts with, with, I'm powerless. I can't do anything about the mess that my life is in. I can't do anything about having a better marriage. I can't do anything about getting rid of this addiction. I can't do anything about any of this stuff. Humility. You start out broken. And then you get some faith to believe that there must be a, a power higher, greater than you. There must be a God who can give you direction, who can give you guidance, who can give you hope. You have faith. And then when that God starts to lead you, you surrender to your God. We discover that in Jesus Christ. We discover that through faith in Christ, God becomes real in our lives and has a plan and a purpose and, and we start to follow. We start, to follow, we start to surrender and then we follow it with obedience. And that opens our lives up to grace. I was just talking to someone this morning about how in the last few months, someone who's recently come to faith and has started in their, their program and has been at worship, et cetera, their life is being changed so quickly. Didn't, didn't all of ours get changed quickly? See, and, and not only did it get changed quickly, but it continues. It continues to change, increasingly more and more faith, and then the cycle begins again. See, humility, faith, surrender, obedience, grace continues to happen. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That cycle keeps on happening. See, that's the lesson that this story told the Jewish hearers and it's the lesson that we hear today, to, to hear that. You know, this morning we're going to come to the table of the Lord. The, the, this morning we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. It's one of those moments that happens, you know, usually once a month in a congregation's life where we come aware that, of that phrase again that says, by means of. All of this that we're talking about, these stories in the Old Testament, the, the things in the New Testament that we're learning about following Jesus, all of this is by means of my death. If Jesus hadn't died for you and me, 
we wouldn't be here. There wouldn't be any of this. There wouldn't be any hope. There wouldn't be any surrender. There wouldn't be any of God's will, God's way, always. There wouldn't, wouldn't be any of that. It's all by means of. And so it becomes a, a moment where you recognize that Jesus says things like this. This is my body broken for, for you. Now, you know, there, there's, a, there's a sense in which what Jesus is saying is this. This is my body as, as you're holding this and you're looking at it. And as I'm holding it, you hear Jesus say, this is my body broken just for you. This is his commitment to you as a person. His body, yes, of course, it's for everybody. But I really believe if you were the only person in the world that needed salvation, he would do this just for you. Now, in response to that, is there some part of your life that he's asking you today about his will and his way that you have not yet surrendered to? That you have not yet come to the place of having the faith that says, I need to do this. I, I need to follow Jesus this way. This is what he's calling me to. This is what he wants from me. And so your will, Lord, your way, always. Some part of his will or his way that you've not yet followed. This morning becomes one of those moments that we can surrender that to him. And so I'll, I'll ask you just to, before we take these elements to just bow your heads and have a few moments in, in private with him talking about anything that might need to be surrendered to him right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Now as we take these elements, the bread and the cup, open yourself to the Lord and say to yourself, Lord, your will, your way, always. Let's eat together. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.